Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. In each episode, we seek to shine a light on successful progress, call out areas requiring further focus, and offer practical ideas to help drive change. And it is remarkable to me in the 15 or so episodes that we have recorded that every single episode we've had both our guests arrive. But it was just a matter of time when in this world of financial services and fintech, that unfortunately at the last minute one of our guests could not make it. To my mind, that is a great boon because our guest now is Liz Lumley. And Liz and I pass each other in many corridors <laughs> and many conferences. And we always talk about needing to catch up and we yes, never have a, yes. a I brought some wine. I feel should, bad. We should sit down, <laughs> kick back a bit, bring cake, yes. bring cake. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about you, Liz. So Liz is internationally recognised as one of the leading voices in fintech, banking technology, innovation, and most recently as managing director at startup bootcamp fintech London, and as editor in the financial services and technology newswire Finextra. For more than 20 years, Liz has been a global commentator on regulation, risk, data and technology in investment, retail and global transaction banking. She is a well-established global conference speaker and you can read her thoughts on fintech and startups on her blog, girl-disrupted. Liz, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Pleasure. So um, take, let's take a minute just to talk about what you're up to at the moment. Everything you just described. I'm a global commentator on fintech uh, and advisor. So I've just finished a report for FICO. I think it used to be called Fair Isaac. Um, uh, looking at fraud prevention and faster payments, specifically because the U.S. is now now in the faster payments bandwagon, like the rest of the world. Um, and I'm currently working on um, a project looking at digital skills shortage in the U.K. with fintech talents and Magna Carta communication um, and with some people consulting for the U.K. government to put together research and a policy document looking to see, you know, how Brexit's affecting the skills gap, you know, what, what, what salaries people are looking for, where the talent is attracted and retained. Uh, so hopefully that will, that will be out in October. Fantastic. And when that does come out, do, please do let us know. We'd oh, love yes, to kind of promote it across all the, uh, all my all the channels. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I'm very honoured yeah. to, be, to be listed. So, it's, but let, well, let's talk about that specifically in terms of uh, your observations of, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, kind of years of experience in fintech, both commenting and also advising, which gives you a very interesting perspective. Not to mention sitting on platforms, interviewing people and uh, and, and hearing other people talk about trends. And we think a lot on the podcast about, is there a digital skills gap? And clearly the research will be interesting to see. And to what degree are we seeing a wave of change because we're bringing new innovators into the market who are coming up with different ways of doing business? Or are we still conducting ourselves in the same way as we always have done? What what are your thoughts on that? Um, So in terms of startups, I mean, large banks can probably attract um, uh, tech people that they want just because they have the the resources to pay the money, even if there are a lot of people who feel it's not cool to work for a bank. In fact, I've got kind of a um, a, a running uh, tablet in my head. You know, whenever a bank hires a high-profile person from another industry, I give them 18 months. And either 18 months, they either leave screaming, saying they'll never work for a bank again, or they become, they learn how to navigate the system because banks are a different beast. Um, startups don't necessarily always have those resources, especially in Europe. They don't have the money Silicon Valley has. Um, but they tend to have difficulty uh, 
actively recruiting. So I think a lot of them are under this misconception that they're cool and they're buzzy and they're agile. And it's kind of like that phrase, you know, we don't pay for marketing, we don't pay for recruitment. People will just naturally come to us. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of startups put up stuff on LinkedIn and Twitter saying, we're looking for a developer, we're looking for a project, come. And yeah, you might get a great digital skills person that way. I hope you do. But that's kind of a lazy way. And it's also... Uh, I think actively what what that is what we talked about before the you know the, the mics went rolling it's really kind of swimming in one pond and there are groups of people in a, in every industry the fintech industry is not alone that have been actively excluded from this world so it's not it's not you know it, it this is what I, I I need people to understand women and minorities especially have been excluded from this world. So that means you cannot put up a notice on LinkedIn saying, hey, do you want to do a banking project in Canada? No, you've got to actually go and look for a group. And there are groups. There's, there's. Oh, I wish I could have total recall. I know I know. there's at least two groups that actively um, uh, promote Afro-Caribbean uh, tech workers in the UK. There are tons of women uh, groups you have to go and say, you know, send me a warm body. Who is your talent? Mm-hmm. You have to go out and actively recruit if you care about diversity. If you want to get the same 24-year-old developer mm-hmm. into your uh, white male developer into your startup because you just don't have the time and resources to do it, you, you, that's what you're going to get. And that's one of the biggest risks of social media, which is, uh, and it's reported on time and time again, is you tend to create networks of people who are very, very similar in background, focus in business and and also um, experience as well. So, yeah, just throwing it out onto a network is yeah. is, uh, is just a bit... It, it's, it's arrogance. Ho- it's hubris and arrogance. It's the, you know, we're we're so cool. They'll just come to us. They'll They'll beg to work for us. Well, you know what? There are groups of people that have been actively excluded. You're going to have to put five minutes more effort in and, and give them a reason to want to work for you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, the world of fintech, which I think is a wonderful thing, is that, you know, that there's this wave of innovation. There are, you know, if you look at all the schemes and all the hubs and, you know, we talk about Startup Bootcamp as one yeah. example of that, you know, that, that it's basically creating entrepreneurs who are creating businesses, uh, then in which case the pool is only going to get ever more condensed and concentrated. So it now is the time to be looking laterally and looking very differently as, as well. One of the things that I've been sort of impressed by, but I just don't think there's enough of, is uh, encouraging female founders. Yeah. Oh, God, and yeah. there's some very interesting data out uh, earlier this year about how if we can just in- unlock the potential of female founders, the impact that will have on the economy. And we'll dig that research out and and, uh, and put that on the website and promote that as well. Uh, you work with female founders? Yeah. So um, what I, I, I'm trying to find the right way to say this. Female founders are out there they're everywhere, you're not looking in the right place. So I have over the past six months, you know, I often get told, um, you know, because I judge startup competitions. Um, and, you know, I'll say, you know, I wish I wish we had more female led startups in the judging and you immediately get cut off by some man. So very, very confident saying there are none. There are no female founders. They're just not out there. Now, I speak a lot at conferences, and I have to tell you, almost every time I speak at a conference, I get a, li- a line of women lining up to me. I've started this business. I've, I've, I've got my own company. And they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I have to say, and I know it's anecdotal, half of them are women of color. And they're there. Um, and so I think if you are in an organization, um, you know, I had someone call me from Nesta, um, uh, the other day saying, 
we really we ran this competition and we just didn't get enough female founders. And I said, well, you know what? You need to ask yourself, what is it about the system that these companies are not feeling that they're invited in? You know, it's kind of like the whole tech industry and the startup industry is like one of those tree houses, you know, with no girls allowed painted on it. And all the men are sitting there in the tree house going, we don't understand why there are no women here. We've got this really great ladder and a ping pong table. I don't understand why there are any women here. It's like, Right. What are the constructs that are particularly sort of uh, so, keeping women at bay, if you like? So there's a lot of semantics that go on. So, for example, um, well, probably semantics isn't the right word. So Startup Bootcamp Fintech has a global policy of not taking in solo founders. And there's a reason for that, you know, because being an entrepreneur is very lonely. You, you need someone with you to, uh, to to bounce ideas off of. There's organizations called Founder Dating that will help you go out and find yourself. Um, more often than not, it's a CTO they need. Um there's a, a woman named Lou Lee who has an organization called Blooming Founders. 80% of her founders, it's an organization for women-led businesses. Oh, 80, Blooming Founders. Blooming Founders. Uh, 80% are solo founders. Most women start companies by themselves. Most women uh, start companies within other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get told, you know, by there's a certain, uh, there's a certain way you're supposed to have done your startup. And it's a world that emerged out of Silicon Valley and emerged from a certain type of people. You have to have read, you know, zero to one. You had to have read Lean Startup. Uh, you had to have got VC funding. Um, and if you if you haven't done things that way, you're not an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And then, and in terms of the, uh, as you touched on funding there, and in terms of uh, the money that will follow that, is, is there also some hesitation then to be investing in female founders, or sorry, to be investing in, in sold founders who tend to be female? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think a lot of women aren't, aren't clued into the networks in order to know how to get that money. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of women are just, oh, I'm going to start this on my kitchen table, and I'm going to bootstrap it, I'm going to do it by, and then they get sort of, um, put down in that industry because they're not matching the characteristics that have, that you're supposed to look like a founder. You know, most most VCs are men. Um, they fund the dreams of 28-year-old white men. <laughs> that's the phrase that gets told a lot. And that's what they see all the time. Um, 2 point, 2.1% of VC funding goes to women. If, if you make that women of color, it goes below 1%. And my anger comes from there are people that look at those numbers and don't see anything wrong with them. And I think that since those numbers are so low, there there is a problem. Um, so you know there have been. I mean, there probably you talked about it on this podcast. There are studies. You know, uh, female so, so, so-called feminine behavior doesn't get isn't seen as um, as something investors want to invest in. However, if a woman acts in so-called masculine behavior, that gets counted against her as well. So women are going in there with a lot of barriers in order to get this money um which is which is why i think women need to almost look at other ways to raise funds and, and one of the guests we had on a, on a podcast um in ser- at the beginning of series two actually was from diversity vc which is very much looking at driving greater uh, diversity inclusion in the world of vc just to try and cut through some of that uh 
traditional behavior of investing in traditional ways into traditional companies in in a traditional model if you like and, and looking to challenge that so it'll be very interesting to kind of come back to them and, and see sort of what their thoughts are on that as well and um in t- looking ahead then is there is there anything that you're particularly optimistic about i mean so we look at as we're sort of halfway through almost halfway through this year uh, clearly, we've got Brexit on the horizon. Uh, any, any, I mean, and 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 that in its in and of itself creates um, opportunity as well as concern around where the talent's going to come from. Is there anything particular you're sort of thinking about with that? Um, I used to be. Well, I still am, um, because I really think the the funding world needs to be disrupted. And I hate the word disruption, but I would love to see that world disrupted. Mm-hmm. There need to be more avenues in order to raise funds. I was getting very, very excited about ICOs. And I know that they're being overly regular. There's a lot of uh, regulation going on and concern about them right at the moment. And there's a lot of charlatans out there. But when they first came on the scene, I was thinking, oh, an alternative way to raise funds. Women should get into this. You know, because it's it's you, you send it out like a crowdfunding so people will buy the token. You don't have to go to some, you know, horrible VC and do a pitch where they're not even going to understand what you're talking about. Um, so I would love to see ICOs become more mainstream and a lot more women saying, you know what, we're going to raise money this way and we're going to screw you. Um, and then... Uh, we see more female-led businesses. but And are you seeing also other kind of pockets of um, funding innovation bubble up in any way? So, for example, people talk about, you know, there, there are there are particular sort of VC firms that are looking to fund in female-only run organizations. Is, is, is that fad or is that going to be the future? I hope it's not a fad. I haven't I haven't seen any concrete data. But yeah, I mean, they, to, to change that world, you need more women in the in the investment world, more women in corporate VCs, more women in regular VCs, more more women startups it just just more of them will will i think cause a lot of a lot of men who see women as a risk and the reason why they see women as a risk is because they don't see enough of them you know if if you see a hundred startups a week and two of them are run by women you're like oh they're a risk if you see 50 48 of them run by women it becomes more normal and you see it as less of a risk and you can actually judge that startup and do due diligence on its merits and one of the things we're often thinking about on on the podcast is about how you know young talent coming through, and we, we had a, a podcast co- couple of episodes ago looking at generational, uh, well, sort of looking at millennial talent versus um, sort of more traditional talent. Let's call it all sort of certain layers of business. <laughs> seasoned, and, 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 seasoned, yeah. yeah, seasoned. Let's call them seasoned. I like that. <laughs> that I'll take seasoned I'm, as a seasoned uh, host of the podcast. Um, but but actually, watching these young—I don't want to call them just millennials because it's 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 you know, new talent, young talent comes from many different forms. But but they look at the, the corporate world and uh, and are functioning and behaving very differently. And, and I worry quite a lot that once you come in. That actually you lose some of that energy and that vibrancy that the that organizations really need because we're looking for cybersecurity specialists, we're looking for data specialists, and we're looking for people who are, you know, we mentioned about programmers, you know, kind of where we're going to find coders and programmers from. Um, are you are you seeing um, in the audiences of many of the events that you're hosting, do you, when you're seeing these young, bright-eyed talent, you know, keen to get into it, are you are you seeing a degree of fatigue over time or are they do you think that will challenge Actually, the, uh, right, the opposite. I mean, getting away from the pure tech talent um, and just like everyone that works in this industry because I'm not a, a tech techie person you know I understand technology but I'm not a developer um, what I have noticed and this goes into the diversity and gender diversity issue women in their 20s 
are not putting up with the shit that I put up with mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s. And I find it incredibly um, uh, encouraging and passionate. I think this is... Can you give w- us an example of what they're not putting up? Well, this is... So I've got a, a friend of mine uh, named Rosie Turner. She's got a company called uh, uh, Friendly Fires and In Chorus. And she's really looking at, you know, helping women... Um, I'm trying to look for the word... Um, putting data to whisper networks. Um, and, and you know, when I was her age, you'd hear about that guy you don't get in a lift with. You know, that guy, don't get in a cab with him when you're in an off-site event. Um, you know, you I've been touched up at events. I've been at events where you are so vastly outnumbered. Um, shit happens all the time. And because I'm 45 and I'm, you know, my mother put up with worse than I put up with. But you just think, oh, that's, you know, that's, there's always douchebag guys around. This is the price you pay for being a woman that leaves the house. Women younger than me are saying, this isn't right. This behavior isn't correct. I should not be, my body should not be touched at work. Um, and, you know, I know that when you say it out loud like that, you think, and you look back at your own life going, gee, why did I put up with it? And you did because of survival. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't make a, a big fuss about every sexist joke in, at work because you'd never get any work done. That's what happens when you, I have been the only woman on stage four times at events. I have been the only woman in a room with like 100, 200 guys at dinners. Um, you you. You do. You are complicit because you are complicit or die, and it's your survival. And a lot more women are kind of standing up and saying, "Uh, uh-uh. mm-hmm. we're not going to be complicit anymore. Mm-hmm. This behavior is actually wrong." And I find encouragement from that. Yeah, and one of the things that struck me—I mean, it's 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 sort of a bit of a tangent to that, or a bit of a parallel to that—is actually I've been encouraged by this kind of wave of men saying, well, actually, you know what, I'm not going to be the only male speaker on a panel, you know, the mammals kind of concept. Um, and I, and I so as we sit here sort of halfway through 2018, I think that's been one of the big resounding um, drivers of change. But I, but, I, but I wonder to what degree that would just, that, is that a yeah. reaction to the uh, Me Too? <laughs> it, it's, it's become a hashtag mammals. And, 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 and will we see that continue or will that just fizzle out? I mean, yeah. I mean, so there are two sides of the coin. One, things will not change until we have more women um, and, and more groups that are excluded in positions of power. Correct. However, things will also not change unless men actually open their wallet and change their behavior and do do things that might, you know, when a, when a man says no to speaking on a panel, he's he's, you know, that that's his personal brand. That's he's he's doing something that might hurt him in his business and he's standing up for something. And you know what? It's it's admirable and I congratulate all the men who do that, but I, I know there are a lot of men who won't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They won't say no to a speaking engagement. Um, and I know a lot of men who are good guys who have seen bad things happen in front of them and have said nothing. Um, until men start putting themselves on the line, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff is not going to change. And it's interesting because in the context of, or the context of, um, networks and how you're going to drive change it's very much you know the men have got to be part of that journey yeah. as well yeah. and, and I talk a lot of kind of women only events because by, by the same token I mean there are lots of women only networks mm-hmm. and, and I increasingly speak to more and more of them and say well where are the men you know actually you having this kind of closed 
Uh, I think it served its purpose, perhaps for the last three to five years, but now is the time. But I've noticed, so Julie, I don't know if you've noticed, so I've, the two I'm thinking of in my head were, were women uh, focused events, but they weren't like women only. It wasn't like the mm-hmm. President's Club for Women. Um, but um, it was, but they, so there were usually like two, two or three guys in the audience. And at both occasions, neither of them asked a question. And in fact, at the end of it, the moderator would be like, do you guys want to make a comment on something? And you could see them very quiet. And I hope that they realize that's how women feel every day. And women still stand up and ask that question and start that business and put themselves forward. And they sit there quiet because it's intimidating to be in a room where you're alone. And I hope they realize the barrier that women have to jump over. You know, I always say one of the things that really, really upsets me is this um, retort that we can't lower the bar for the sake of diversity, which really makes me want to rip my skin off. I mean, I like, so Cindy Gallup says that diversity raises the bar and it does you put you put more people from different ponds in the pool you got to up your game and 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 just to be really explicit on that which is with every technology challenge anybody who works in an in an agile methodology will know that you put disparate ideas and disparate experiences and different skills around essential problem you're trying to break it and you get there faster it's a better result and that's the way i see diversity and inclusion which is you know we're all perform better if we all sit around one table and one business and one central concept, mm-hmm. and and so uh, yeah, I I I I think that is that is why we're doing the podcast actually yeah. because that's my driving message and it has a financial contribution to performance. This oh, is God, so nice to I so, know. So How the, much and, more data do we need that businesses do agree, better? Agree. But yeah. I, I I decided to be a bit controversial at the last event I spoke to where I said, you know what, I'm going to go out there and say I want the bar lowered. I want the bar lowered. Um, I because I am a white university educated middle class female and the bar I have to jump over is right at my head. You darken my skin, it goes up ten feet. I want to waltz over the bar men get to waltz over. I'd love that bar because the alternative is raising that bar way up high, and there are a lot of people in this industry that have a lot more experience jumping over that bar. So take your pick, guys. You want to keep the bar low where it is with you, or you want to lower it up to my level? Just bring it on. So I think that's a perfect moment to pause there and to turn to Robert and Cynthia for any research that they found to support this debate. In March 2018, the UK government announced that the second phase of its Women in Innovation Awards will be launched later this year. Participants have the chance to secure funding and a support package, the awards have been set up to help drive more female-led innovation. The first Women in Innovation programme launched in 2016 after research showed that just one in seven applicants for funding from Innovate UK came from women. Since the launch of the programme, female registrations have increased from 14% to 24%. Over 100 organisations have signed up to the Tech Talent Charter, where companies such as Nationwide and Lloyds Bank have committed to improving diversity within the tech industry. The aim is to have at least 500 companies signed up by the end of 2018. The Tech Talent Charter annual report is due to be published later this year. It will collate the data from the companies that are part of the charter 
and show the gender balance in technical roles. Robert, Cynthia, thank you very much uh, indeed. And as always, you can find that research on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. And remember, that's diversity with a C, not with an S. And you can also follow us on Twitter at diversitypod. And we're available across many different channels, including Bright's Talk as well. And do give us a rating if you've enjoyed the show. Uh, We always love your feedback. Thank you. Liz, as we go into the last section of the show, you sit on many panels. We've talked about your kind of chairing and also participating. How do you see the world driving change for itself? So I mentioned before that I think women are becoming a lot more vocal and we have a lot of networks. Um, So there's a group of us who do speak a lot at conferences. So we're well placed to see uh, to have, you know, to be the only woman at a conference or the only woman I mean, on a build panel. Out that pool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, so a bunch of us got together, um, and it was spearheaded by Sharon O'Day. Um, and it's called the FinTech Parity Pledge. Uh, and it's, uh, a, a pledge. It's a badge you can put on your site. And it's a site aimed at event organizers, um, and, uh, and other organizations that basically says, we're gonna, we're gonna take a moment and think about diversity and inclusion in our events. Um, you know, I, I, I've written about, I've put together a lot of events. And one of the first events I put together in, in banking and technology was all men. And I did it because I wasn't thinking. It's very easy to do that in an industry where men outnumber women by a large margin. If you just kind of think for a second, ask around, do a 10-minute Google search. There's a women in power list out every week about something. There are people you can call. You can make sure that every panel at your event is is not four white guys or when I saw once nine white guys talking about blockchain um, that doesn't make the industry any better and it matters because visibility matters okay and 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 a, the, a lot of events are put together um, by people not from the industry so they don't know all the players so they look at old events they look at who spoke at old events they look at the people making a lot of noise and then the cycle repeats itself so the fintechparitypledge.org um, is is about to how to stop that cycle um, and so there's lots of lists and guidance and strategies and how to make sure that your your event is diverse so um, you know talking about visibility and why visibility really matters um, something that went viral uh, uh was a picture of the little two-year-old girl looking up at the portrait of Michelle Obama in the U.S. And she just had this look of awe on her face. And that's when people complain about a pipeline issue. You know, women and little girls get told, you're not allowed in this room from a very small age. And we need to stop that now. We need to show little girls that you know, yes, you can you can have a be on stage, you can have a voice, you can be important. You, someone who looks like you is in that clubhouse. And that is incredibly important. And that's really, you know, why the FinTech Priority Pledge isn't about our own ego or promoting ourselves. We can promote ourselves. This is about making sure that there are more people on stage and their voices are heard and a more diversity of thought and context is, is seen that pushes our industry forward. Liz, it's been a a fantastic discussion. I'm so pleased we could have the time to talk these things through. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Julia. Thank you very much. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. 
Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.